0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And Tara Tibbetts, finally back
2: to Fort Worth, Texas. And you are listening to the monthly Fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning here on the Horse Radio Network for March 18th, episode 2643. Good morning, Horse World by Horseworks. This is our very special and probably my favorite special episode of Horses in the Morning about fox hunting. We come to you the third Thursday of every month. So if you are a fox hunting aficionado, put the third Thursday on your calendar and come and listen.
1: And if you're not a fox hunting aficionado, put it on there anyway. Because we talk about all kinds of cool stuff, even if you're not a fox hunter. It's true. That's true. It's cool stuff anyway. Coming up on today's show... We are going to chat about the stock pin, the bane yep. of many many of us's existence, especially if we were in Pony Club. Uh, we're going to chat with Gro- Grosvenor Merle Smith, author of The Hunting Horn, a gorgeous coffee table book, but also someone with a really fascinating career in fox hunting. And we're going to learn all kinds of cool stuff about fox hunting horns that you never thought you'd... It's crazy what we're going to learn about fox hunting horns. And um, we're also going to learn about Tara's latest adventures. I'm going to do some quizzing of Tara Mm -hmm. today. So the first thing we do every month during the, on our Fox hunting episode is we catch up on Tara's adventures. Being a fox hunter, she has wanderlust. (laughs) She just goes all over the place with her horse. (laughs) So what have you been up to?
2: So we, we, after we survived snowpocalypse, we, we, we were not, we did not have a new episode last month because Texas was frozen and it was such a weird, um, like eight days of frozenness, like (laughs) 20, 30 below zero, like real feels like I felt like I was back home again. And I mean, it was like. Minus 10 on Friday ah. and 66 on Monday. Oh, So, man. It, it, you know, it's almost, it's like such a distant memory. So anyway, so I lost kind of, I lost a week of riding because of that. We were absolutely beyond fortunate. We did not lose power and we did not lose water um, to our house. We always have to haul water to the barn when it gets really cold because the barn pipes freeze. But I, I do joke with all my friends now that if we ever sell our place, we're putting it in the description that we did not lose power during snowpocalypse apocalypse because that's <laughs> meaningful. Um, but I knew going into it that that was towards the end of February and we were, I was preparing to get Simon fit to go fox hunting in Georgia. So last week we were hunting in Georgia for the week and uh, with bell meat hunt. And we we went out three times and there was a joint meet with more county hounds and just that was my first ever trip to the real American South. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd been to the the Carolinas a couple of times, but that was for WAG. and and we fox hunted on that that trip, but it, it was not quite the same as driving from Texas to Georgia and just like experiencing that whole transition into you know, the South mm-hmm. and experiencing just beautiful Southern hospitality at Belmead and amazing hunting. And I'll tell anyone in the world hunting in those pine trees. And it was very similar when we hunted in, um, around outside of Tryon, North Carolina, just hunting in those pine trees. There's nothing like the sound of hounds in those trees.
1: Yeah, I bet. It takes your breath away. Yeah. And it's going to be quieter too, because when you go through woods that have typical classic underbrush with, um, Mm -hmm. and and it makes a, it makes a lot of noise. So there's a, there's a cacophony, but when you're in the pines like that, all you hear is their voices and it's so you get goosebumps. (laughs) Uh, It was,
2: and then we went out Wednesday evening And so that was an evening hunt. Oh, that's a, um, that's a treat. Yeah, it was, we went out, I think the hounds out at 430, I believe. And I had the, the opportunity, I was given the opportunity to whip. So I rode with one of the more senior whips, which was really wonderful. And, you know, experiencing a hunt like that with a whip is so different than riding with the field. And I feel so lucky to have gotten that experience and, really gotten to follow along with the hounds and and watch them work and listen to the camaraderie and just the teamwork that goes into good good whipping in is just it's it's art it's just it's beautiful it was so so interesting and but the you know of course is murphy's law they got on really good runs as the sun was setting Ah. and so (laughs) you 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 there, There's a lot of busy highways and there's kind of a, I believe it's a rock quarry area. So they have to be careful about where the hounds go to keep the hounds safe and to keep, you know, people on the road safe and the horses safe and all those things. So the hounds got on a good run and we, you know, I was with the whips and we had to stop them, which is, it was fascinating to watch the hound work with those folks of how you, you could just see how much they've worked with the hounds to educate them and teach them that you know, they weren't in trouble for for going after quarry, just, you know, they needed to be done because of
1: the day, the right. daylight going it's, away. That's hard because when you have a working dog, uh-huh. teaching them emotional control, in other words, this is the chasing that scent is what you literally live for. Yep. But teaching them that, okay, it's time to stop and you're not in trouble, but it is time to stop. That is such a fine line to teach yep. a, a dog that or a hound that. Yeah and they do, they do a really good job at Mead and they're very very good about
2: you know they give they, they give the dogs direction from horseback and then you know when the hounds do what they're supposed to do and they're done per se usually one or two of the riders will get off their horses and and reward and pet and and like just oh, really give lovin's. the hounds a lot of, yeah they get lots of lovens and so they they're more apt to listen and to you know obey the commands and with the hunting horn and and all of all or a lot of the whips at Bellmead carry horns, which I thought was really interesting.
1: Because well, not all hunts do that, do they?
2: I not in my experience, no. I, it's, I, I mean, and I was impressed. They've got they call them apprentice whips, so they're they're you know younger folks like under twenty one who are coming up and learning how. And a couple of those folks can, I mean, they are they can blow the horn, and it's not <laughs> easy.
1: So and then go ahead, um, and that was that's something else. If you've never been on a hunt, either on a horse or just to go as a spectator or to go on foot. It is such a joy to watch the hounds with the huntsman and in some cases also with the whips. The absolute admiration in the hound's eyes when the huntsman's there is like, you're my favorite human in the
2: whole wide world. Well, and to (laughs) that point, so the the joint meet was Moore County hounds, which is from Southern Pines, North Carolina, and then Bellmead, obviously in, in Georgia. And when they do, when you do a joint meet, they, they have hounds from both packs that hunt together. And Bellmead's pack is, um, I think it's a lot of like crossbreds, um, American and English crossbreds Mm -hmm. and the Moore County pack are built are, are Penn Marydales and, the, the two packs looked like, even if you're not a hound person, the packs looked different and holy smokes, did they sound different? Those Penmerrydales really? were chatty.
1: Yes. Interesting. The, so they, even the, even the, the voices are different. How interesting. Very, they were very
2: chatty. And so it was interesting because both huntsmen went out with the hounds and, you know, to your point of the hounds loving the huntsman at the end of both the two days that the the h- packs hunted together, when we would you know, gather up the hounds and then hack back to the kennels, each group of hounds like packed up right around their huntsmen. And you could just tell like just the affinity that they had for their huntsmen was, it was pretty adorable.
1: Yeah. That, that again, one of the, one of the joys of being out with hounds is to watch that interaction among the hounds, among themselves in the pack and with the humans who are out there guiding them. So, so cool. So when you went on this big road trip, Yes. You went on this big road trip with some new equipment, didn't you? I did.
2: Really kind of a lot of new equipment, but I know which one you actually want to talk about.
1: (laughs) Well, here's the scoop. Um, Tell us what the new equipment was.
2: Um, I, in July of 2020, I ordered a Living Quarters horse trailer, and it arrived at the very
1: end of December And this was the maiden voyage. This was the maiden voyage of the new Living Quarters horse trailer. So we're going to stop there. We're going to do a little teaser. (laughs) Okay. We're going to do a little teaser. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Living Quarters horse trailer after we chat with our guest, Grosvenor Merle Smith. But before we do that, even, we need to discuss the stock pin. The stock yes. pin was the bane of my existence when I was in Pony Club because back in the day, you still had to wear a stock pin in your stock tie. And the number of stock pins I bent trying to get through the stock tie. <laughs> Tell me all there is to know about stock pins, please. So it's super basic. A stock pin is
2: essentially a like a gold safety pin. Like, it's always gold for fox hunting. Well, I guess sometimes they're silver, but it's we and we've talked previously about the stock tie. It's the tie you tie around your neck. You wear a white one during formal, and you can use other not white stuff during autumn hunting or during informal days. And the stock tie is a wonderful piece of equipment that you can use to for bandages and slings and all those things. But you also need the stock pin. And you know the pin is what you 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 pin it onto your stock tie and you kind of pin it to your shirt to make it, you know, look nice and proper. It's like a tie pin on a
1: gentleman's tie. It serves the same function. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, as per usual with fox hunting, there's significance. So most everyone in the hunt puts their pin in their stock tie horizontally. Only professional staff. So staff who are paid um, to do their job whether it's a huntsman or a whip, put their pin vertically. I did not know that. Yes, so it's kind of one of those. If you know what you're looking at when you're in the hunt field, it just kind of tells you what the person's role in in the hunt is. Um, Interesting. And you you often read, and I, I like to read about the ins and outs of hunting attire because some people like to act like it's black and white and there's like hard, fast rules, but it's not like different hunts have different rules and have different acceptances. Some hunts are very adamant that you only like, you only can have a very plain stock pin. Mm -hmm. Other hunts will allow you. Sometimes people will hang, um, the patron saint of hunting. I can't, what's his name. Do you remember his name? Don't. I have, I have, Oh, I feel terrible. There's a it's Saint Huber. I think it's Saint Saint Huber's medal. Yes, the Saint Huber's medal. They'll put on their stock tie, which is the patron saint of hunting. Um, and sometimes, you know, just with fashion and and people using stock pins for other things like dressage or um, eventing and whatnot, uh, they'll do kind of blingy stock pins with like different things on them, but. The, the old school hardcore fox hunting people will say just a plain stock pin is the only one that's appropriate and I will say in, in, in the in the horse country website also um, I'll we'll post a link to this in the show notes to horsecountrylife.com and there's some information about turnout and I found this to be highly entertaining because I'd like to know who's going and measuring but the gentlemen wear a three inch stock pin and the ladies wear a two and a half inch stock pin <laughs>
1: I, that makes me chuckle because back in the day, Glenn and I had a little tack shop and yeah, that, that was back remember. when people still wore stock ties. Now everybody just has, a lot of people don't bother putting anything around their neck anymore than the show hunters, but we sold stock mm-hmm. ta- stock pins and it was a big deal to know which sizes were which, you know, on the on the little box, it had to say which size stock. Pin I was. like it. Yeah. That's gone away. That it doesn't. Huh. Well, At
2: least, I mean, I've bought a few stock pins and and I don't recall them. They'll say men's or ladies, but they don't really say the measurement
1: on them. Yeah. Well, back in the day,
2: they did. Um, but And the stock pin is like if you're using your stock tie for, you know, some reason as a sling or as a whatever, then obviously you, would, you could use your stock pin to fasten it in some mm-hmm. form or fashion. And a lot of folks will... Well, actually, also, like, when you tie your your, your um, stock tie in, in the knot that you – the square knot that you use for that, they'll safety pin the tails of the stock tie under their vest. They'll safety pin it to their shirt so that they don't come flapping out. Mm-hmm. But then also, they have more safety pins to use if they actually need to use the stock tie for something utilitarian.
1: Yes. And
2: those are just regular safety pins, not not fancy gold stock and tie. I, stock I, pins. I
1: have been known to, in a pinch – Use a bandage pin for a stock pin because I lost my stock pin. It wasn't the right color, but it was better than no pin at all. (laughs) I think that works. And, you know, when you think about it, it's perfectly useful as a device in the case of an emergency. Probably even more so than the stock pin was. Which is kind of the point of the the thing. Now, um, where do you fall? Because back in the day, there was the the stock pin in the knot or put the stock pin in the little tails? Where, where where do you fall? So the way I learned it,
2: and again, I'm kind of a newbie and I always look when I go places. So I actually do like, I tie my tie in the knot and I put my stock pin through one of the tails through the, the, the front knot of the stock tie and then through the other tail and that, that's how I pinned mine.
1: Ah, so you have it way up high. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. I was never able to get it through all three layers. I just had it through where the two tails come down and cross, like, right at the top of your collarbone there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's basically what I do with mine, but I also have it go through, just yeah. go through the and, front of the knot.
1: And I, my sock tie always looked like a hot mess anyway, so probably didn't <laughs> matter what I did. No matter how hard I tried, it didn't come out looking like the picture. It was just a balled up mess around my neck.
2: It, it's, it takes some practice to get good at the stock tie. And I can kind of do it without even using a mirror now. But the one thing I have learned, and I think we've talked about this before, is I I fancy myself as just a wee bit of a seamstress. And I like to make my stock ties. I bought one. I bought one stock tie from horse country. And that thing is the fabric is ridiculously thick And I bought a specific stock tie for it that is like, I mean, like the metal is like an eighth of an inch thick so that (laughs) I don't bend
1: the dang thing.
2: Do you sharpen it? it's hard.
1: We used to sharpen ours.
2: I have sharpened that one. I have a, a smaller one that's not, it's easy, more easily bent that I use for the fabric that I buy. Because the other thing about that stiff fabric is that it rubs my neck and it gives me like neck rubs. Well, that's no good. Yeah. My life is really hard. Yeah.
1: I, so. think, I think it would be a good idea if you fox hunt in the colder climates that you need to make a stock tie out of fleece. There are people who do. I've seen those. I think that's a very smart yep. thing to do. Yep. I've seen that. And,
2: and you, I mean, from a distance, you can't even tell. No,
1: I'm sorry. It's, it's white or off-white. And it's yep. a stock tie.
2: And man, it's easy to get the pin through that stuff. Yeah. Interesting.
1: I like it. Well, there we go. That's everything you ever wanted to know about the stock pin and more. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Fancy well, safety
1: pins. And where where did you find all this great, great information? Where's, where's the place people can go learn about uh, stock pins?
2: I, I like to read about turnout. Different hunts have stuff on their websites, but horsecountrylife.com. There we go. And we'll, we'll put the link, but it's like dash catalog or yeah, dash catalog dash turnout. Um, has some very, like, it's this whole soliloquy of just kind of like the basic expectations of turnout in American fox hunting.
1: There we go. All the basics that you needed to know. And if you're not a fox hunter, just fun trivia. Well, that's enough of uh, stock pins. Now we are going to take a little break here and hear from our title sponsor, Horseware. And when we come back, we're going to chat with Grosvenor Merle-Smith.
3: They say a good rider can hear his horse speak to him. But a great rider can hear his horse whisper. The years he's given me. Nobility without conceit. Friendship without envy. Beauty without vanity. A loyalty without compromise. I borrowed freedom when we rode. The history of mankind and civilization rode with us. His body took the weight of mine, and I was carried through. I can still hear that whisper.
0: For more information on the complete line of horseware turnouts, including Rambo, Rhino, and Amigo, visit horseware.com or ask your local retailer or online supplier for more information on horseware.com.
2: Well, I'm excited today to have Grosvenor Merle Smith as a guest. I have kind of, Grosvenor's one who has a long history in the fox hunting world. And I'm excited I waited to get Grosvenor on the podcast for his new book to come out. And so today, Grosvenor, I wanted to hear all about the book. And then after we chat about the book, I do want to do a brief history of your your background in fox hunting, because I do find it to be pretty fascinating, and I think our listeners will too. So if you would just tell us a little brief introduction, and then what led you to writing The Hunting Horn?
0: Okay, well, hello. I am here, and uh, what led me to writing the hunting horn? It, uh, basically, basically, I just I had a few horns that I hunted with, and um, one was my grandfather's, and one was given to me um, by kind of one of my mentor huntsmen. And I wanted to learn more about them. I didn't know anything about any hunting horns. And sort of in the process of trying to sort that out, I realized there really weren't any any horns that anybody knew much about that I, uh, with any other huntsman that I talked with. And so... Uh, so, I started to gather information, and in the process of trying to find out about my horns, I found about out of people's horns and as time went on i I discovered there were more and more companies and I gathered more, and more information and and I got to a point where people started asking me about horns and that led to further investigation and and People said, "Whoa, you know a lot about this stuff. Maybe you should write a book." And one thing led to another, and many years later, that's what happened.
2: Because you you were a huntsman, correct for for one hunt or multiple hunts?
0: Uh, multiple hunts. I, yes.
2: Tell us about that.
0: Um. So i I grew up in. A hunting world, to a degree. I grew up in Middleburg. I grew up on Foxcroft School, which is a girls' boarding school. My father was headmaster there, and so I I always had hunting around me to a degree. I uh, some of my very earliest memories were of of say Thanksgiving hunt meat at Foxcroft and. Some other places, I'm not even sure where they were. Where it was sort of foggy, and there were hounds and <laughs> huntsmen, and 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 um, the clip clop of horses coming up the road, and the smells, and the and just sensory overload. And those memories stayed with me forever. And I I got away from. Uh, that kind of culture through the middle part of my life to a degree. But I always, I always, wherever I was, I tried to ride and, and to kind of have my horse time. And, uh, and then really probably, and that took me probably kind of in a a casual fashion through till after college. And, and then, um, I, I met my future wife and, um, we did horse things together. And then, um, when I was going to get married, my mother gave us a, or really gave my wife kind of a wedding present of a week's hunting in Virginia. And so we went back to Middleburg and stayed with some old family friends and hunted and i talked to my old boss who was master at piedmont and uh said well we live in colorado where can we hunt and he goes oh there's some great hunts in colorado so a week later we were hunting in colorado and i was very soon thereafter whipping in and that after a few years evolved into Deciding that I wanted to hunt hounds, and I'd kind of given up my shot out west to hunt hounds. And so I came back east and wound up at the Keswick Hunt in Virginia.
2: Okay, So w- which hunt did you start hunting with in Colorado? Uh,
0: that was the Arapahoe hunt.
2: Okay. Um, my One of my dad's fraternity brothers. I can't remember which hunt, but he was a master at one of those hunts in Colorado. I can't remember if it was Arapahoe, but anyways, I think that's a, I, such a fascinating story. And, um, had your wife's name is Rosemary. Had she hunted before your mother gave her that gift?
0: No, no, she'd never hunted. Uh, she'd ridden her whole life. Um, she was, uh, I, I would say a hunter jumper girl. And, um, And my mother said, you need to get hunt clothes, and so uh, helped her get her kit together, and then we went to Virginia, and and this is my wife who said she would never, probably, ever leave Colorado, no matter what I wanted to do. And the very first day, we're hunting with Piedmont, and we're at Wellburn outside of Middleburg. And almost straight out of the meat, we get on a, a cracking little run. And, and she goes, oh, oh, wow, I, I could move here. <laughs> and, and that was the beginning of the end, I guess. Or the That's beginning fabulous. of the beginning.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the hunting horn and I, I, I've hunted for about 10 years, but I I would say I, I still consider myself kind of a, I'm very much a learner about fox hunting, but horns to me seem to be kind of like, so Grosvenor, as you know, mile city is my hometown and I grew up with a lot of ranchers. And so hunting horns to me are kind of like a good pocket knife to a rancher. Like, Everyone kind of has like their one, their own, and they like it. Mm. And, and everybody, there's kind of some things that everybody kind of likes. And there's obviously like known quality, but like, you know, a rancher has always a good pocket knife. That's very dependable. It's high quality. It works well, all of those things. But huntsmen are very like particular about their horns.
0: Mm -hmm. No, it's true. It's true. And I think part of it is because we all have different lips and, all hunting horns are different and you, so what might work for me won't be, even if I tell you it's the greatest horn in the world, it's not going to be one that works for you. And, and so you fall into having horns that you really like. I started hunting with my grandfather's horn and it was really all I knew. And, uh, and really in, in, I I lost it a few times and found oh, wow. it. I squished it a few times and <laughs> had to straighten it out and and until until I really was afraid that I was going to lose it forever or destroy it. I I used it and then it wasn't until I started looking for another horn that I think I began to understand how different they could be. Um it, it is like a it is like a good pocket knife, and and I do have I have quite a few horns now, but I do have my favorites, and I have a certain certain types that I like. And I, you know, you you'll say, well, what brand is that? And and it's not so much the brand as it is the the size of the horn, the the tone of it, and the mouthpiece and how it blows.
2: Are they generally all made out of the same kind of metal or does, are they, do they vary in metal types and does that make a difference in, you know, how it carries or how it it blows or any of those things?
0: It's interesting. uh, So uh, it was probably about 10 years ago. I emailed, uh, Doc Severnson, who was the trumpet player for Johnny Carson Oh, cool. And his wife was at um, uh, UT University of Tennessee, and she was uh, and I'm not exactly sure of her title, but it was something like uh, she was head of the the brass instrument department or something like that. And so I thought, well, gosh, that's a perfect person to ask that very question and some other related questions and i never heard anything back and and so i kind of looked myself to to answer that question and there were studies done by the military and by some of the the um musical instrument manufacturers starting back pretty early like 1840 um again in 1880 um, by these different companies, Yamaha even did a big one and they made they made instruments out of matching instruments out of different metals and tested them so for instance a a brass one and a copper one and a silver one and a nickel one of say a, a bugle for military purposes and basically they determined that, They all sounded about the same, but a pure metal seemed to carry further, at least this is what that report from like 1840 said, uh, um, a a pure metal like a copper or perhaps silver carried further than an alloy like brass. And then a later study, uh, I think Besson did one, and they made them out of cement. They made them oh, out gosh. of cheese.
3: They, uh-huh. made a, they
0: made an instrument out of cheese. And, uh, and they determined it. there really wasn't anything different about these instruments. Well, uh, so anyway, before Christmas, I get a phone call and it's Doc Severinsen. And we talked for ages. I mean, well over an hour. I have no idea really how long we talked. And we got into some of that. And basically his, his opinion was that there's not so much a difference in what it's made out of, but but it all matters a little bit and the in, the differences differences are subtle. But it also matters on whether it's hammered or whether it's spun. The process and how hard the metal gets from that process makes a lot of difference. So without getting into any more sort of detail and going down that rabbit hole, there, yeah, I think there are differences. But again, it's sort of one of those things that this horn is great, and this horn that's the same make and model isn't, and what's the difference? Maybe it was the guy hammered it more, and it just made a better horn, and so this is the one that I really love.
2: So and in in writing the book, I know it was years of study, and you traveled quite a lot to do it. Did you find that, do huntsmen prefer or is there a preference a new that's their very own horn or do they like generally like older horns or it, it seems to me like something that is a, a thing that is passed along from person to person, but I suppose that some maybe prefer new ones.
0: Mm. Well, I, um, <laughs> I would say that, um, uh, there's always a, a bit of, magic and a bit of honor in using somebody that you think very highly of, uh, of using their horn. I, um, there's a, an American guy who, who wound up in Ireland and bred hounds and is really fairly responsible for, uh, I guess it would be considered the modern English foxhound. Uh, his name was Ikey Bell, and uh, and I was in Ireland. We were living in Ireland, and there was the uh, there was a big hunt ball and the All Ireland Horn Blowing Championships. And I didn't have a horn with me, and I wound up being able to use Ikey Bell's horn, and I was runner-up in the All Ireland Horn Blowing, and. I think that horn just about blew itself. And if I'd been able to hunt with that horn, I would have. I would have loved it.
2: Interesting. Um, I'm, I'm sure after that, did you try to find one just like it?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I did. And I, and I never did. Um, uh, uh, a A friend in this country, John Marshall, who is... Uh, mostly known for beagling. Um, he has a horn that's used at the National Beagle Trials every year. Um, it's a cow horn that they use in between uh, the different packs hunting because it sounds different and you can call the next pack in and they don't think it's just the huntsman who's there calling. Um, it's it's it, 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 it has a deeper tone and it, it blows cow horns blow differently than copper horns or metal horns. And if I had ever had that horn, I would have hunted it. I would never have, I never would have hunted probably a metal horn. It was wonderful. Interesting. And, uh, uh so they're all different.
2: Yeah. So I, I spent last week in Georgia hunting with Bellmead and, Kind of a, I thought, I thought of you when, when I, we were sitting around and, and I was told this story, I was with Ep Wilson, who's the master and huntsman at Bellmead and Lincoln Sadler, who's the huntsman at, um, Moore County Hounds and mm-hmm. Lincoln, um, I believe it was this season lost his horn while he was out hunting and they hunt on a fairly large territory and he just was beside himself, um. And and this is kind of why I was thinking of just kind of the the pocket knife for a rancher analogy that I I spoke of earlier. And um, while he was at Bellmead, Epp gifted him with a horn. And I, I don't know I I did, I wasn't there, and I don't know a lot of the significance behind it. But it just was very interesting. And and all of these things you're talking about was very. I know it was an older horn that that Epp gave him gave to Lincoln, but Lincoln blew the horn and was very pleased with it, and he really liked it, and it sounded good. And and it's not. It, it, It's, you know, they're not easy to blow, having tried it a couple of times myself. And I had a cousin who played the trumpet, and he tried to teach me how to blow the trumpet, and I couldn't do that either. Oh, it
0: does get much easier.
2: (laughs) Yes. Well, I also um, recently have a lip injury from my horse's knee um, when we were all, like, trying to blow the horn last week, (laughs) but but I just, I think it's so interesting. It's such an intimate piece of equipment for a huntsman. And I think it's one of those things that really bonds and and huntsmen talk about because nobody else, you know, obviously some whips sometimes will carry a horn, but it's very much a huntsman thing.
0: Uh, I agree. And I, and, and in creating this book, it's first and foremost, a reference book so that Anyone who has a hunting horn theoretically can look it up and find out more about it and probably, and, and it, minimally the era that it was made in and and hopefully very specifically when it was made, um, but, I, but I really, and I wrote the book primarily for that, but I really tried by the Sort of, as I got into the project, I tried to create something that would be interesting and maybe it's not enlightening but but um, sort of bringing bringing the the whole concept not not specifically of this make of horn but the whole idea of of hunting and how important horns are maybe to the average person who goes out hunting, because I don't think many people really think about it at all.
2: I, yeah, I would no agree. one's
0: ever, no one's ever really, no one's done what I did ever. And there's probably a reason it's sort of out there.
2: Well, and, and I've, I've, I've had my hands on it and I've seen it a couple of times and it it's absolutely a beautiful book. It is so, the photography is beautiful. The b- the book is big. It's like, it's a coffee table book, really. So <laughs> was it difficult? Like, did you take charge of all the photography? Like how did that, how did you compile all of that?
0: I, well, uh, I did all the photography except for the pictures. There's pictures of me in there and there's a few other pictures Um, but outside of a handful of them, um, I did all the, I did all the horn photography. That's pretty impressive. And some of it was under, you know, I was traveling and I couldn't carry a lot of equipment and I'm in these dusty hunting rooms in a dark castle and I can't take the horns out to real daylight and uh the exposure is about 10 seconds long and uh it it, I, it some of it is under impossible conditions and they're okay i'm not thrilled with the quality of a lot of the photographs but they're it it turned out all right
2: i think it gives it ambiance
0: <laughs> well thank you very much i i i'm I'm proud of the book and how it turned out, but it, it was struggling. I was struggling getting decent pictures. That's for sure.
2: Well, I think it turned out well. So, so you mentioned earlier that you lived in, hunted in Ireland. And I, I think that that's, I'm curious about that. Tell us about that. You, you were a master and huntsman or one or the other. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Wow.
1: A little hound drama here. A little hound drama. <laughs> this is the real deal right here, man. Okay. It's like real yeah, hound right. drama.
0: Linda, lovely voices there. Um, so,
1: Rock,
0: uh, so I after I had been at Keswick for a number of years, uh, I was asked to come over to Ireland and uh, and just really to be a joint master at County Tipperary because that's where my friends were and and sort of the extent relationships. And I got over there and the so we picked up lock, stock and Barrel with two kids and say do you have kids yet?
1: Moved.
0: Yes, we had two. And uh and we moved over to Bansha and the Tipperary Hunt okay. Decided that they didn't want a joint master and <laughs> Tim Hyde was the master then. And, uh, so Tim said, well, heck go, go run the golden veil hunt, which was his, a hunt that his dad started and which he had recently been master. And so. Uh, so I went to the golden Vale, and I was master and I, uh, basically I took a, a fellow Tom O'Meara, and, and, uh, taught him to hunt hounds and, uh, and we, we hunted together side by side and then I, and he, he continued on as a huntsman and I continued on as a master.
2: Fascinating. So, how long were you in Ireland?
0: Uh, so, we actually lived there one year, and then we spent a lot of time there for eleven, eleven years, twelve years.
2: Oh, wow! That's just delightful. And and both your kids grew up hunting, correct? Uh, they did. And and
0: my son, my son is no longer. Rides, he's capable, but he's not interested. And my daughter is very involved. She's Um, a
2: professional, isn't she?
0: She is a professional. You did a show on her, uh, uh, Mongol Derby oriented a year or two ago. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, and um, Charlotte Merle Smith is good friends with Jen and Glenn, the producers, and she is your niece.
0: Yes, she is.
2: Yeah, so small
0: world. She's my younger brother's daughter. Yeah,
2: it's a fun small world.
0: And and Nikki and Charlotte live six and a half minutes from each other in Orle- in um, Ocala. Oh, wonderful! So, do
2: you make it down to Ocala much?
0: I just got back yesterday.
1: Excellent. Yeah. Well, did you do any hunting while you were here?
0: Uh, I I got back. Oh, I. So I got back uh, y- y- Saturday night, and then sat- yesterday I hunted with uh, Thornton Hill.
1: There you go.
0: And uh, no, yes, Thornton Hill. Yeah, that, yeah, that was Sunday, right? Okay.
1: <laughs> it's yeah, hard
2: to I've keep track. Days all
1: day, but... run together.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Grover, we're going to have to have you come back on again sometime, just because I feel like. I could ask you hunting, fox hunting questions for days and, days and days and days and days and days, but we're out of time. So, if our listeners want to get their hands on their very own copy of The Hunting Horn, how can they find it?
0: Oh Well, thank you. I would suggest they go to uh, thehuntinghorn.net. Perfect. All spelled and- out.
2: We'll put that in our show notes. So if any listeners can't remember, just go to HorsesInTheMorning.com, and they can click on the link there too. Awesome.
0: And I believe if they don't if they don't know anything about hunting horns, they'll enjoy the book and they'll learn more than they ever wanted to know about hunting horns. But I well, think they'll enjoy the book.
2: They'll enjoy the book, and if you're a horse person at all, it's like it's a fantastic coffee table book because it is beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. It was good chatting with you.
3: The saddle fit solution you have been waiting for is finally here. Totalsaddlefit.com is proud to introduce the shoulder relief girth. This strategically shaped girth actually moves the girth line of your saddle back over one inch, thereby freeing your horse's shoulders from the saddle. Traditional girths pull saddles up against a horse's shoulders and often over the top of the shoulders. The shoulder relief girths recessed ends allow for the billets to buckle into the girth farther back to give your horse unparalleled freedom of motion. We are so certain that your saddle will fit better and your horse will be more comfortable that for a limited time we are offering a 30-day, 110% money-back guarantee. If you are not totally satisfied with your shoulder relief girth, send it back for a full refund. Don't wait. Order now for the best saddle fit solution available.
0: At totalsaddlefit.com. Visit totalsaddlefit.com.
1: And speaking of good fits, you have a really good fitting horse trailer now. So first thing that we need to find out, you ordered your horse trailer. What horse trailer... Is this replacing what did you have before?
2: So let's go back to Get 2019. Back machine. Yep, getting the way back machine. We're going to go to 2019. I went fox hunting in my hometown and I drove from Texas to Mile City, Montana, and I had a four horse gooseneck trailer with a dressing room in it. And this was mid May which is warm in Texas. And I overnighted on the way up in outside of it's a little bit north of Pueblo, Colorado. And I had the great idea. Cause there's this wonderful little horse hotel and it's right next to the side of the highway. If you're ever traveling through, it's, it's wonderful. And I was like, you know, I'm tra- I was traveling by myself. I had a couple of dogs. I didn't want to go to a hotel. I'll just stay in my horse trailer. I froze my butt off. Uh-oh. It was so stinking cold. <laughs> So go, go to Montana, have a wonderful week. Fox hunting fast forward to leaving Montana. And I literally left the state of Montana being trailed by the word blizzard that I think Montana, Wyoming and Colorado and Northern Texas and New Mexico have had in late May ever. And again, I was staying in my trailer when I got to Colorado as the highways literally closed behind me and I don't know that I've ever been that cold in my entire life sleeping somewhere. So I got home, and I've kind of had gotten the bug that I wanted to do more traveling, and and was just was contemplating the living quarters trailer. So fast forward to. I have a lot of new friends around the Texas area and we go trail riding a lot and they all have living quarters trailers and they go fox hunting all over the United States and they usually take their living quarters trailers. And so I just decided I am going to get rid of my four horse, which I never haul four horses, so I didn't need that big of horse compartment. And I, my new trailer is two feet longer than the old one, but it's a three horse with a mid-tack and living quarters.
1: So it's a slant. Yes. Okay. So it's a three horse mid tack means that starting at the back of the horse trailer, there are three horses, and then in front Mm -hmm. of the horses, there's a tack room that is the diagonal. It looks it's almost like another little slant stall. And then after that, the front of the horse trailer is the living quarters. So does your living quarters have what amenities does it have? Does it have a bathroom? Does it have a kitchen? What does it got? So
2: I um, it has a bathroom. It has a shower and a toilet and a small closet, and then it has uh, a sink in the ki- in the kitchen. It has a sink and a microwave. I could have had a cooktop, but I would have lost a ton of counter space, and so I took that out. Yeah, cooktops and I are just, overrated. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I mean, who? So I just I have a um, plug-in little burner that I
1: can yeah, use. Yeah.
2: if I need to. If you
1: need to boil water, you're good. Well, I got a water boiler. You just plug it in. Yeah. Yeah. You got the electric hot pot. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so it's, it's got all of the amenities and it, I'm guessing it has the bed above it, up in the cone. Yeah. Yep. Up in the, mm-hmm. in the nose. Does it have a slide out or not? No. I Less things to break is possible. Okay. Now, do you know what the gross vehicle weight is of your trailer?
2: So nothing in any of the documentation that came
1: with the trailer has that. And so... <laughs> what is the what is the weight rating? That, that should be on there. I don't VWR. remember. What, I'd have does, to it, look. does it... The sticker should have a sticker on there that says, this axle is rated to carry this much, and there are two of them.
2: Yeah, they're 7,800-pound 7, axles. 2 7,800-pound axles?
1: Duty. Yeah, they're pretty heavy-duty. So your weight rating is going to be a little over 14,000 pounds, which is what it's allowed to be, all filled up. Yes. And what do you haul your horse trailer with? A
2: 2002 F-350. You do a 350,
1: which is a one ton, right? Uh One ton. And it's a dually? Single wheel. It's a single wheel. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a hot topic at my house right now. I'll bet it is. I'll bet it is. Now, how do you know about... Well, you don't know the weight, so I was gonna say your your length difference is very small, but I'm curious right. if there's a it's significant a lot heavier. It's a lot heavier. It, so the plan is is we're gonna take it to a truck,
2: truck place stock? to weigh it. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple not very far from home because we we're gonna get a new truck soon, and so we're just kind of talking through. I've always been hardcore. I don't ever want to own a dually ever. Yeah, but. I kinda sort of might I kinda think it might be a little I, I will say though this truck hauls the trailer great. Like I can go seventy-five miles up a hill. I've only hauled one horse in it so far. However, it is like my my fuel mileage driving to Georgia was half what it usually is with three horses on my old trailer. Wow.
1: That's significant. And
2: and I talked to my husband about it and my husband, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this much before, but my husband's a mechanic and he's, he's not he's like a little kind
1: of a gearhead. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's an amazing mechanic. Like the, tr- the engine in my pickup is two years old. Um, he completely replaced it and it's a monster. Um, but he did point out that, so the new trailer has, I have a hay pot on the top of it. Um, so there's a, there's a, there's a little ladder up the side and we can put, I can store hay on top of the trailer. And the only reason I put that stupid thing up there was cause that's where we will eventually put the generator.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but the wind drag on that oh, is what you think really got me. Good point. I never thought of that. Yeah. That is interesting. Now, are there other things that when you decided what you wanted in your new horse trailer, because you ordered it from the factory, these are the things I want. Yes. What are some of the factors that you said, um, Absolutely gotta have, absolutely can't have. So
2: there's yeah, there's as I mean I'm a new living quarters owner. I'm by no means an expert, but like the number one, I didn't want any slide outs because it adds weight and it's just it's another thing to break. And if anyone remembers, Kevin and I lived in a twelve by fourteen room for six months and we were fine, so I don't need a lot of space to live in.
1: (laughs) You guys really did live in one room, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. With nine dogs.
2: Yeah. And so I knew I didn't want to slide out, which wasn't that big of a deal. Another thing that's really common on living quarters trailers that I did not want is mangers. So they'll put you know, in this in the slant load trailers, they'll put um, basically a rectangular compartment in front of the horses so that when you put the horse in the trailer, they have, like, a manger that you can put stuff in yes. to feed them. And yes. then on the side of the trailer in front of the horse, there's doors that you can open and you can store stuff under those Yeah, it's like under a little brush majors. box on the
1: outside kind of thing. Yeah.
2: I mean, like, I can get, and, and I've traveled with a couple of my friends who have Big Living Quarters trailers that are the same width. My trailer's eight feet wide and their trailers are eight feet wide. And they, like, you can get a small Phoenix West tack trunk in those things. They're really? not small. Yeah. And I didn't want those because I, I want my horses to be able to put their faces down on the ground and snort out stuff out of their nose. Because I yes. don't want shipping fever.
1: Yeah, I'm so, a b- I'm big on that too. I really like the horses to be able to get their head and neck up and down and yeah. Yep. yep. So, no
2: mangers. Um, my husband actually had a really good idea. So... My old trailer was seven seven feet six wide. The new one is eight feet wide. So it's a fair amount wider. And so we did 60-40 doors. So the horse door to go in the horse area is 60% of the width. And then I have a rear tack for my saddles and bridles that's 40% of the width. So
1: you have a rear tack and a mid-tack? Yes. The mid-tack is
2: more for like feed and it's got a door that goes into the living quarters. So you can kind of use it like a mudroom. you use your
1: mid-tack as your feed room. Look at you. I never would not have thought of that.
2: And after having lived in it for the last week, it was a really good decision. I yeah. love it.
1: Now, is um, your is your rear tack collapsible or openable?
2: It's not collapsible. I don't like collapsible because I want the I want the walls to go all the way to the ground because then there's less dust and crap
1: that gets on my bridles and saddles. Got it. But it doesn't open either. It doesn't have a hinge, so it opens up out Correct. of anything.
2: Okay, cool. And then the other thing that we did with the doors in the back is, so if you've been around slant load trailers, usually they open like French doors, right? Mm-hmm. So you open the horse compartment and you open the tack compartment and then the whole back of your trailer's open. Does that make sense? Yep. So we, and the, what I don't like about that is when your horse is tied to the back of the trailer, there's three tie rings and they're tied in the back. If you have your tack room door and you open it, the door will swing around and hit the horse.
1: Yes, they they flap all around. Yeah,
2: super annoying.
1: Yes, we changed that tack room door so it hinges on the same side as the horse door. Oh, so there's a the hinge is uh, in is in it's not in the center. It's right right next to the the pillar the between the doors. It's on the pillar side, not on the frame Mm -hmm. side.
2: And then you op- You can open the door all the way, and it um, you can pin it. There's a little catch on the top, and you can you can adjust it so it stays open and it won't swing.
1: So when you're standing in the back of the horse trailer, looking uh-huh. at the back of the horse trailer. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> when you open the horse unloading side, uh-huh. you open it, and the hinge is on your right-hand side. And when you open the tack room, tack side, the hinge is also on the right hand side. Yes. How I've never seen that configuration. Was that something unique or is that something you'd seen before?
2: It's a custom order and it was my husband's idea. And when I when I talked to my sales lady about it, she was like, Oh yeah, I have some people do that and they really like it. Cause then the door doesn't
1: swing around and hit the horse. And I'm like,
2: I think more people should do this.
1: Yeah. Cause that's that's like, that's, I, that's actually a problem I have with my trailer in that. The tack room door and the human escape door overlap each other. So when they're Mm -hmm. open, when the tack room, when the horses, the human escape door is open, you can't get into the tack room because the other door opens up and covers up the hole. It's really irritating. (laughs) Yeah. Why not just put the hinges on the other side? Super like, so
2: I, I really, and I, you know, I tacked, I didn't take my trailer to the meets. We, we borrowed a trailer to haul the horses to the meets, but, um, last week, but I was would tack him up at
1: my trailer and
2: I love this configuration.
1: How interesting is that? So on your first maiden voyage, did you try to break anything in the living quarters? Did you forget to turn anything off to forget to put anything away? Did, did dishes land on the floor? Any good stories? No. So we did a itty bitty.
2: We went, um, a good friend of mine who, who I went to Georgia with actually lives about 80 miles away from me. And so my husband and I went over and we stayed at her house. We went to a dinner party and stayed in the trailer one night to just kind of do a little bit of a practice run. Um, but the kind of, I mean, the one funny thing was before it was the weekend before I was leaving like Saturday or maybe the week. Anyways, I could not get any of the propane appliances to work Uh which the fridge the water heater and the heater are all propane and i was freaking out like freaking out and i finally called my sales lady and there was a one particular button that i hadn't pressed that turned the valve on yeah there's a lot of buttons Yeah. yeah switches there's a it's a steep learning curve but once you kind of figure stuff out at least my trailer thus far, it works like a well-oiled machine. It, it was – and I've been very particular. Like all the dishes I bought are plastic. Um, a good friend of mine bought me for Christmas. She got me a set of um, deep purple fake crystal champagne flutes and oh wine glasses. Gosh. They're
1: amazing. <laughs> yeah, that um, is a good idea. Always use plastic dishes in your yeah. camper or your living quarters because they're going to fly around. Get the cheap ones on Amazon and when you're tired of looking at them, just get new ones. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a tree hugger and I don't like to use disposable stuff. Don't use paper towels. I don't use disposable plates and stuff. So I just, I have a, I got, I got a lot of my dishes and stuff from target. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my fancy purple wine glasses and champagne flutes. And, you know, it's been interesting. Like I actually just, I, I posted a picture on my Facebook page today about my maiden voyage. And, um, a friend of mine who we kind of fictitiously know each other just through the horse world. We haven't like ever hung out, but we've been going like talking back and forth all day long about like different things she's learned about living quarters living. And there's this, I think she, she sent me a link. It's called Betty's or something B E D D Y S. And it's this like completely enclosed bedding that you unzip the cover when you go to bed at night and then you zip it back up during the day, which Oscar, my puppy who I took with me, he's a half wire haired Jack Russell and he's got a lot of hair and he got really freaking dirty and my bed is like sleeping in a sand pit right now and this Betty's thing (laughs) you zip it all up so he could go be dirty all he wants and then you just like brush it off and I don't actually have to sleep in a beach it's a sleeping bag for your whole mattress yeah but then it's like it's like built in like a sheet and a comforter and it just it's brilliant brilliant so just stuff like that that living quarters people like Oh, yeah. There's all these like little like things, which I mean, you you guys have an RV, so you probably kind of get what I'm saying.
1: We're a little bit RV obsessed right now. Our RV just yeah. doesn't have room for horses at this point. And mostly because that's speaking to what you were talking about with the truck in that if I had a horse trailer big enough to have horses and living quarters, it would have to be ginormous because Nigel has to be able to go in the back and out the front. And he's yeah. giant. He doesn't fit in a slant load. Um, we actually bought a slant load. He literally didn't fit. We tried to <laughs> close the little door. So <laughs> how <laughs> wide you get up him? against both sides of the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Cause
2: my first slant load trailer that my parents had is seven feet wide. And then the one I ordered in 2014 was seven, six wide. And this one's eight feet wide. And my, like one of my friends, both of her horses are six. 16, three and 17 hands thoroughbreds. They're big ones. And they fit
1: no problem. Yeah.
2: They biggins. just have to be really wide. But then again, you need a bigger truck.
1: Yes. And we have a three quarter ton, not a dually. So we're going, you know, for the number of times a year, we would actually camp with our horses because Glenn camping plus horses equals misery. It's not something you're really excited about. I don't Sounds care like if I sleep in my trailer. I'm fine with that. Give me, give me my, we have a little cassette toilet. I can take a jug of water. I'm good to go. Um, I just can't see Glenn being into taking care of the horses while camping. I feel like you you are absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you are absolutely correct that, uh, yeah, he, he has agreed to go camping locally with the horses because there are gobs of places to do that here in Ocala. It's like, well, we can go down the road half an hour or so to one of the horsey campgrounds because we can just make two trips. One with the camper for the people. And then oh, nice! The horses, because you know, half an hour away, we can do that.
2: There's just a couple of places here that they have a, a can that people without a living quarters can stay in, and then they also have living quarters hookups. And I've done that with friends a few times.
1: Yep. So we're gonna we're gonna give that a try at some point here in the future because Scooter would just love to go pony camping. Yeah, that'd be fun. He would.
2: Well, and it's it's it. such a fun like the my fox hunting friends. That's what we do all summer, and it's a great way to keep your hunt horse
1: active. Yes. Yes, and keep them out and about because as yeah. a lot of horses, if they, during the off season, if they're not going out and doing things, in other words, getting into the horse trailer and going in somewhere and doing something, they get a little feral about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I've discovered yep. that the hard way now. So <laughs> all summer yes. long, we have to keep going places so we stay in practice.
2: <laughs> yes, it's true. It's, and for, like, for Simon, he gets a little amped up. If he every time he gets in the trailer, he goes fox hunting, and so it's nice that sometimes we go places and he goes on a trail ride because he's a super delightful oh, gentlemanly. That's good for chilled. his psyche to go. Oh, yeah. this is a putt-putt trail ride, so he doesn't get yeah. too. That's a good idea. And I, I do have to plug and say because I'm pretty excited, and we all know how obsessed I am with Simon. We fox hunted with one of his, um, and I'm not supposed to say this in thoroughbred world, but and with his half brother, it was another ghost sapper.
1: Oh, really? Yes. Oh how fun.
2: Yeah. So that was fun.
1: That's cool. So uh the do, does your new Living Quarters horse trailer have a name? Not yet. I haven't hauled it enough. Still in the get to know you phase?
2: Yeah, and I always want to name things, but I generally fail at it. But I think I think this one will end up, but just I was so irritated at Like the first couple of months, there was a number of things with just my frustration with like selling my old trailer wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. And getting the new trailer and I couldn't get any of the things to work and I was just mad about it. And then once I finally, you know, went to Living Quarters Trailer 101 via calling my sales lady frequently, um, now I just like I love it. It's so easy. It's so convenient. It's pretty. It smells good. Please tell me
1: it has an electric jack. Yes. Oh. Thank goodness. Yeah. Anybody out there thinking about getting a gooseneck trailer of anything more than teeny tiny, get
2: the electric jack.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Although my friend's electric jack broke. And Ooh. um that's funny. That's my phone ring. Um, her electric jack broke, and so we had to get some help to come out and lift the trailer up to get it hooked up. But she could, she, hers didn't have a manual override and I will say mine does have a manual override and I know how to use it.
1: See, that's the smart thing And on RVs. Everything on an RV is made as cheaply as possible. They're literally designed to fall apart on the way home from the dealership. <laughs> they yeah. don't have overrides on them. Yeah. But you can get, uh, you can upgrade to one because, you know, we've probably spent half again as much as we spent on the RV putting upgrades on it. Um Yeah but you can order that from the factory on a horse trailer obviously that's the, that was smart thinking right there
2: yeah well and I, I i'm a little bit of a brand snob with with the horse trailer stuff um i'll never forget when i was like in middle school my dad bought and i apologize if i offend anyone my dad bought a titan a steel titan horse trailer brand spankin new off the lot we took it to a horse show and it rained the entire weekend and the stupid trailer leaked the entire time oh. The living quarters, leak, or the dress, it was a dressing room. The dressing room leaked. The horse compartment leaked. It was awful. Mom hauled it home, and Dad immediately took it and traded it in for an aluminum feather light, which my mom still <laughs> has that trailer. It was built in, like, 94. You know, so, I, I
1: think a little bit of the leaky trailer thing, sometimes you get a Friday afternoon trailer. Yeah, Uh, The one we have now, which we bought brand new off the lot, leaked when we got it. We had to take it back to the manufacturer, which was right down the street, and say, "Um, excuse me, can you redo the roof? But I have had probably half a dozen horse trailers over the past 40 or so odd years. And I think one of them had a leak that didn't want to seem to go away. Yeah, um, but we've we've had pretty good pretty pretty good luck that way, and they were all different brands. And this is the this is the first new one I've ever bought. That all everything I've ever had was was used. But uh, yeah, that's a good thing to pay attention to the leaky roof in the in the tap well, just
2: room. Yeah. So this is my second four star, and I'm kind of a hopelessly devoted four star fan. Well, there you go. I, it's from my experience with trailers, and I've had Titan, Sooner, Lakota. Featherlight, Four Star, I can't remember. And I've had a couple of, of all those alternate brands. In my opinion, Four Star is, quality-wise, it's like the Lexus of horse trailers. And you pay for that. But like in my old trailer, which was seven years old. Yeah, it's the same age as Simon. It, it was like a new trailer. Nothing had broken. Nothing was worn out. And I hauled it every weekend during hunt season. I took Mm -hmm. it to horse shows. I took it to Montana a couple times. I took it to Nebraska and Kansas and whatnot. And I don't use it like a trainer did, but nothing broke.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. I think for the most part, I think most horse trailer brands available here in America are built pretty robust. They are pretty. Yeah, they are generally pretty good.
2: Pretty robust. But my favorite thing that Four Star does that I don't any of the other ones do is the tie rings are welded to the frame.
1: Really. Yep. They ain't going anywhere. Mine ours has nope. those chinchy, nasty, soft metal tie rings that go on with bolts that if the horse yanks real hard, yeah. the whole tie ring just breaks. Yeah. That's yep. what we have.
2: And all the other trailer brands I've had, I'd have to go back and look at mom's featherlight, but my featherlight was a stock combo, so it didn't. But my Lakota, um, the Sooner, a lot of a lot of them have the bolt on ones. Mm-hmm. And I became not a fan of the bolt on ones when Simon was at his third Fox hunt and he came walking down to the hunt lunch and I'm like, excuse me (laughs) with with the tie ring hanging from his lead rope. That was still neatly tied.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. So that's the adventures of the brand sparkling new living quarters horse trailer. Yes. With, with Tara. Well, that's great to, I'm glad, I'm glad it all went well. And does your, Final question. Does your living quarters have heat?
3: Yep. And mm-hmm.
1: it's, it's and air conditioning. It's got heat and air conditioning. So it's got propane heat. Mm-hmm. Now, did they tell you when you bought your trailer that you need to crack the window when you have your propane heat going? No. You I've got a that.
2: sensor that tells me if it's going to No, kill it's me. not
1: because of that. Propane heat produces moisture and you will get... Oh, um, yeah. You're going to get... Yeah. If it's super cold out, you'll get frost on the insides of your windows, which will then turn to water, which will then run down your windows and make a big old mess in your walls. So That's good to know. Crack a little tiny window. Anytime you run propane anything inside your camper, you should crack a window a little bit. Or turn your, if you have a bathroom vent, turn the bathroom vent on. That works really well, too. Well, my I have
2: a, a fan and just you can open it. So I can just do that.
1: And I, I thought that was a lot of hoo-hahs. Like, oh, really? Come on. Itty-bitty little heater. Itty-bitty little camper. That's not going to be a big deal. When we got our RV, quite chilly out. It was in the 40s to close to freezing most of the time when we were out in it. So we did turn it on. And we all we did was open one vent in the ceiling, half an inch or so because we were worried about rain that wasn't enough we got we it was distinctly damp in there after a couple of hours interesting because it was yeah 28 degrees, 27 degrees
2: at least three nights last week it was cold yeah like there was like crunchy frost on the ground but yeah no i'll, I'll file that away and my good to know about
1: living quarters and and everybody and they always come with with uh Carbon monoxide sensors, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yep. And if you have an older living quarters and it doesn't have one, get one. You can buy any of that stuff. You, you can, can buy that You stuff. can add it on. Yeah, that's- and, yeah. And if you sleep in your horse trailer like I do and you use a heater in there, get one. Because every yep. year you hear about the horror stories of people oh. expiring. Yep from carbon monoxide in their horse trailer. So on, ending on that bright and shiny note, congratulations yes. on your nifty new trailer. If you Thank have you. nifty new trailer stories and you'd love to talk about them on the Fox hunting episode, maybe you could, uh, you could drop me a line, just drop me a line at uh, guest at horse network.com. And maybe we'll chat with you on the Fox hunting show, <laughs> especially yes. for Fox hunt. <laughs> uh, exactly. Well, thanks for listening to the show this, this month. Once again, we've used up all of our time. For folks who want to appropriately stalk you online, Tara, where are they going to do that? You
2: can find me on Instagram at
1: at TN Tibbets. T-I-B-B-E-T-T-S. I I collect B's and T's. All the B's and T's. There you go. You can find links to today's guests at horsesinthemorning.com. This is the episode for March 18th, 2021. That's the easiest way to find it if you're listening to this episode in 2025. You can follow the horses in the morning show on Facebook. Just look for horses in the morning. You can have all the shows with you wherever you go. If you haven't done so already, download the free horse radio network app for your iPhone or your Android. If you have non-techie friends and we all do carefully and quietly take their phone from them and download the app for them and show them how to use it. Thank you very much to our sponsors for this episode, Horseware and total saddle fit. And, uh,